Don't you just love Janet Pfeiffer? Uh, I've been here 12 years, and she was one of the first persons I've met here. And uh, you just get this whole sense of an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, what could happen in our lives if for the next 41 years, before we went to work in the morning or hit school in the morning, we prayed, God, lead me to people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, really, this place, would Topeka, would be a different place, wouldn't it? We've been talking about that story and moving that story of God from our lives to others. And we've talked about just like a tree has a cross section. You can kind of see with the rings what kind of years, what kind of history that tree has had. We all have a story. We all have a history that we have the opportunity when we come to Christ to make God's story ours. And when we met Jesus, we entered into this larger story. We were grafted into God's story through Christ and his story has become ours. And it's a story that's so wonderful and incredible that although it it includes us, it's also meant to be offered to everyone. And our missions through this series has been to take this story and to share it with others. We are the mission of believers declaring the truth and displaying the love of Jesus with the people in their lives. We really want to see this. So far, we've got a clear picture of this story to know and to believe it. We've talked last week about proclaiming it boldly. And today, I want to call you to a compelling vision for the gospel. I want to call you to literally be compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And compelling means to be impassioned, to be convincing, enough to cause a response in a person that you're sharing it with. Calling someone to a decision when you share it. Because here's the passage. Here's the heart of God in the scriptures. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, about right in the middle of that chapter. You get in verse 13. Paul says this. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now look at that. Everyone... Who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise from God. Everyone. See, Christianity is inclusive. It calls everyone, rich and poor, American, non-American, everyone from all over the nations. It calls everyone to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, it's very inclusive, but it's also very specific. Because we have to call on the name of Jesus Christ to save us. And Paul asked, because of, because this is true, Paul asked some rhetorical questions that he develops beginning with verse 14. Would you continue reading that with me? It says this. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Those four questions. First one, how are they to call on the name of the Lord if they haven't believed in him? The answer is they can't. They can't. Second question, how are they to believe in him whom they never heard? Well, you can't believe in someone you haven't heard. And then how are they, they to hear without someone preaching? No, we have to preach it. For people to hear it and then for people to believe it. And how are they to preach unless someone sends them? 
Folks, that's the mission of the church is to send you from this place out into the world that you live in and advance the gospel through your lives. We cannot be passive with it. We can't be passive with the gospel. That's why God's plan A is the church. Plan B? There is no plan B. There's no plan B. If we go passive with the gospel, it stays. Now, God could do a better job. I'm convinced of that. He could do a better job. And he could have come to this earth and said, look, it's me. It's me. Believe in me. He did 2,000 years ago. He did. And many rejected him. Some believed in him. But the, the tremors from Jesus being on this earth and dying and resurrecting continue to reverb today in our lives. We are the church. We're commissioned to take this gospel from this room out into the world. And if we don't, the gospel stays and it dead ends in us. So why should we share the gospel compellingly? Well, number one, because God cares. God cares. It says in scripture, God so loved the world. It, God, God also calls us to. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In God's economy, the most beautiful thing for the church to do is to advance the gospel from this place outside of this place, from your life to someone else's. And because God offers. He offers to everyone, to anyone who calls on his name will be saved. He's doing this at this time patiently. Second Peter 3, 9 says that God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is offering at this time. He's patient with us. Church, church be strategic because God is patient right now. May, we, should be, we should be looking for every opportunity to advance the gospel through our lives. And then the last reason why we should share compelling is because, frankly, we must. Your faith demands it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And I would just say to you, woe to you if you don't preach the gospel. Woe is a biblical word. It's not slowing down a horse. It means look out to me if my life is trash, if I don't advance the gospel. It's, it's a humble picture that your life will stagnate. And I have seen frustrated, dissatisfied Christians who let the gospel dead end with them. You want to be frustrated as a Christian? Let the gospel stay in you. Don't advance it. And you will build church. And you will build life. And you will build your relationship with God around what makes you comfortable. What entertains you. What makes your life easy and better in your eyes. But when you join the mission of God and you advance the kingdom of God. Folks, the gospel's life-giving. It's life-giving to people you share it with, and it's life-giving to you. Passivity with the gospel results in a stagnant relationship with Christ. We must. It's essential for our growth as believers, for our faith to grow and our love to deepen by advancing the gospel from our lives to others. Because here's the reality. If the gospel is just positive thinking and good self-help concepts without a foundation of truth that works for some and doesn't work for others, and it's just a good story, then let's just keep the gospel in these walls. 
Let's treat it like a fairy tale that is good to hear every once in a while, but ultimately has no impact on our lives. But if the gospel is true, if the gospel is true, then the most loving, the most caring, the most thoughtful and compelling act would be to share it with others. And correspondingly, the least caring, the most arrogant and most selfish and and hateful act would be to keep it to ourselves. So what should we share? When we share the gospel compellingly, what do we share? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Paul is reminding the church in Thess- Thessalonica um, about their relationship, how the gospel advanced from his life to theirs. And he said this. He said, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So... Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. What should we share? Well, Paul just shares there, you share the compelling truth about God, and you share a compelling life. You love people. Did you hear that in the video by by Janet? You just love people. And the gospel is going to come out. If you love them, if you don't treat people like a project where you need to know this. And if you don't look out, you need to share that and love and love them as you do that. You share the compelling truth about God, the gospel, and you share your life. Because the advancement of the gospel is not a once in a while event that you check the box and say, okay, I've done that. I've got that experience under my belt. It's a daily commitment of availability to the truth and the love of Jesus in the lives of people. Because discipleship thrives in relationship. Discipleship thrives when one person is building into another person. So the question comes here, how do we do this? How do we advance the gospel compellingly in our lives? Because I think we all want to do that. We all, if we know Jesus and we believe in him and we call this truth and we have been changed and transformed by his love, how do we do this? Well, as I've searched the scriptures this week, the New Testament has a pretty good dynamic of how to share the gospel compellingly. You know, they give us the grid for for how to how to advance the gospel. We see in just a few chapters in the book of Acts how the gospel moved from from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the inhabited world at that time because they were compelled by it. We want to be a compelled by the gospel. How do we do that? Well, the first first concept is this. We've got to trust God's timing with everyone. We've got to trust God's timing with everyone. Perhaps the most powerful influence of the gospel in the first century church was the Apostle Paul. What do we know about his life? Well, the book of Acts kind of reveals him. We start out and we're introduced to him at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr for the Christian faith. When he died, people put their cloaks at the foot of Saul. In other words, it meant he was in charge of this. He was responsible. He was the leading authority to make sure that Christianity was eradicated. He hated Christ. He hated Christians. And yet, on the road to Damascus, this this persecutor of the faith changed his life around, uh, was converted to the faith, and then 
becomes the greatest preacher. He moved from persecutor to preacher and one of the greatest preachers for the gospel. Look at how Paul describes it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He says this, This statement is, is true and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me the worst, Jesus Christ might be displayed might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see, Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, I'm the worst. I'm the example of the worst sinner. I wanted to eradicate Christ. I wanted to reject the gospel. I mocked it. I resisted it. And I persecuted those who followed it. I'm the worst. But God chose me. He chose me. And I'm now one, a great preacher for the gospel to show that God and his grace never gives up. Trust God's timing. You may share the gospel with someone and they would say, forget you. You believe in that? That's craziness. Don't give up. Don't give up. That means we need to trust God's timing with everyone in the past. Think with me. Aren't you glad that God hasn't given up on you? I am. Aren't you glad that God treated you far better than you deserved? I do too. I'm thankful for that. I remember when I was in fifth grade and there was this kid named David. And he was the bully. And he was bigger than me and he used to pick on me, used to laugh at me. And, and would just shove me every time I went by him. And there was the temptation as a, as a Christ follower in fifth grade to go, God, get him. Get him. Cold and flu season. Get him. You know, keep them away from me. And you know what? My mom encouraged me to pray for David. My mom encouraged me to, instead of just, you know, calling the administration and getting, you know, protecting her son, she coached me on how I could talk to David. I remember asking David to church with me. I remember asking David to an Awana club that I was a part of at that time. And, and I invite each time, I go, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to go there? Continue to pray. And I am so glad when I graduated from sixth grade and never saw David again. <laughs> Until my senior year at Dallas Seminary, when my mom gives me a call and says, Hey, Joe, I met a guy at church today. His name is David. And he said, Mrs. Ishmael, I remember you in elementary school. And I remember your son. And I remember he invited me to a church like this. And I've come to Christ and I wanted to thank him. So tell him thanks for that. See, you never know what God is going to do with the past because God's sovereign is working out a plan. It's his timing. We may not know now we want to just pray, Lord, deliver me, get me away from this person. And people are frustrating. People are messy, but don't give up. God hasn't given up on you. It means in the past. It means even in the present. You can be angry and impatient that God isn't doing the things you want him to do in the present. But to realize you are part of the plan of God in his timing. You've joined the story of God. It's his story now. It's not yours. It's his timing. I've heard so many people say, ah, man, I can't wait to get out of Topeka. What are we doing in Topeka? Get over it, people. God has you here. God has you here. 
He moved me from one of the most beautiful places in the country to Topeka. You know what? I call Topeka beautiful now. You know why? Because I get to be a part of a church where I see the good news of the gospel taking root in people. That's how I define a beautiful place. Is what? How's the gospel advancing here? How, how are things happening to bring the light of the gospel to a community? You can have a really, from an external picture, the, a very beautiful place that's very resistant to the gospel. That's not a beautiful place anymore. Folks, in the present, realize that God has you right where he wants you to. If you're a student, God has you right here, right now, living paycheck to paycheck right now to advance the gospel. That's how God does. He he does not waste a moment. He doesn't waste a time. And in the future, what could God do in the future if you're simply available to him right now? Trust his timing. I mentioned earlier, what could it look like for us to pray every day as Janet did for 41 and a half years? Lord, lead me to someone who needs the gospel today. You know, your future, your future has a, has a beautiful outlook if the gospel is advancing in your lives. So resist the frustration of the past, the present, and the future, and trust God's timing. Not to be p- passive, but to be strategic in your lives. And then, not only are we to, to uh, share it trusting God's timing with everyone, but we're to faithfully share it trusting God to faithfully save Because here's the reality. You don't save people, and neither do I. You don't say, and while we're praying here, just ask ask me to save you right now. No, no, people aren't responsible for you. They're responsible to God. Only God can save them. Who makes people believe? Who opens up people? The Holy Spirit does that. You don't do that. You can be the most compelling speaker in the world. But ultimately, faith is something God gives to people. We have to trust God to faithfully save. We're responsible to faithfully share. And we want to do that. See, Paul uh, gives us another picture of this. He preaches this compelling story in in Athens on this place called Mars Hill, also known as the Areopagus. And and it was probably the the pinnacle of philosophical thought in the the day with with Greek, the Greek uh, culture of the time. And he spoke to those who had a God for everything. And he even mentioned, I saw that, that just in case you left someone out, you even made a statue to the unknown God so that you wouldn't, you know, leave someone out. So he preaches that, that the God of the universe, the God that created the heaven and the earth has spoken specifically through Jesus Christ. And he presented the gospel. And look at the response that he had. He says, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, look at this, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Just after he preached the gospel, look at what he has here. He has three responses. When you share the gospel with people, some are going to mock it. And that's what some did with Paul. One of the greatest preachers of the gospel had the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And yet when he shared, some rejected and some mocked it. You will have people who mock you for sharing the gospel with them. I have. I've had people who've called me arrogant to think that I had the only way 
that I thought I had truth. I've been mocked before on that. You're going to get that. You're going to get that. The Apostle Paul in the first century had that. You're going to get that. Times have not changed. Secondly, you're going to have people who say, well, I'd like to know more about this. And then you're going to have people who say, I'd like to believe this. What do you do with these people when they give these responses? Well, first of all, when they mock you, give them love and respect. Always. Never count them out. God's not finished with them. You know, the average adult has the gospel presented to them 12 times before they believe. (laughs) That's just the statistic there. That means we don't usually just grab onto the first thing we hear. So we've got to trust God's timing, but we share it faithfully. And we treat people, even though we give an answer for the hope that is within us, we do that with gentleness and respect. People can believe even uh, false truth. They can, they can believe that sincerely. We need to treat that with gentleness and respect. Some will want to know more. What do we do with them? Well, we love and explore with them. We may not have all the answers, but we search the scriptures. And we try to find some of the key answers. We try to reveal more, more uh, a picture of truth, but through the context of love. And what do we do when people believe? Well, we love and we affirm them. We affirm them. So we continue on here. And the, the third pr- principle is this. We present the gospel for a decision. You see, the story has been revealed. Not so that we would just go, oh, that's just really nice. The story's been revealed for us to make a decision. The whole book of John is written like that. And John writes in John 20, verse 31, he says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, Jesus, Jesus called people towards a decision. Look what he says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 16 is probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. And I want to read it kind of slowly for those who've known it for most of our lives so that we can kind of slow down and really understand and read some of the verses after it to really hear what Jesus is teaching us. He says in John 3 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son... That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now, these are Jesus' words. They are not uh, an interpreter. They're not a commentary. This is, these are the exact words of Jesus. And we've talked about our condition before God. In the story, we found that we've fallen away from him. We went our own way. And because of that, we've been lost. We've been broken. But here in the very words of Jesus, he says something else that's a little bit more humbling to us. We're condemned. Before God, we're condemned. In other words, we face his wrath. We face his judgment. And without Christ, we're condemned. 
This is humbling. And it makes the gospel not only about eternal life, but it also shows us the bad news of eternal death. You know, this past year, I've had the opportunity of traveling and seeing all the major religions of the world. In addition to Christianity, in traveling to Europe, I saw more of an atheism and intellectualism. In Africa, I saw animism. In the Middle East, I saw Islam. Is In Asia, I saw Hinduism and Buddhism. And you know, as I went to each one of these places to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, there was this tinge, this question, this kind of devil's advocate in the back of my mind that said, what are you doing here? Telling them about Jesus being the only way to God. I mean, we're talking about billions of people here. And on a dark moment, I felt arrogant and harsh and prideful to claim that anyone who dies who did not trust in Jesus would spend eternity in hell. And you know, the reality is, it would be arrogant and prideful, harsh and unloving to proclaim this unless it was true. Folks, unless it was true. David Platt in his book, Follow Me, says this. We are encouraged by the hope of heaven and we are compelled by the horror of hell. He continues, if you and I know and believe Jesus came to save us from heaven for, excuse me, save us from hell for heaven, then we have no choice but to spend our lives on earth making that salvation known. Folks, we need to present the gospel for a decision. It's not just that our lives are missing God. It's not that our lives are just broken and miserable without God. And that Jesus gives us days of sunshine, no longer days of rain. (laughs) It's that literally we face the condemnation of God without Christ. And that's why Paul proclaims in Romans, Romans chapter 5, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our only way. I've had people who said, boy, that sounds like a great story for you. But you know what? I don't need God. I've got, I've got so many things. I'm not worried. Seems that all the people who trust in Jesus need him because they're broken in this world and their lives are all messed up. And I go, you know what? You know what? You can't save yourself against the wrath of God. We all need him. We all need him. You just don't realize it. Folks, we all need Jesus. And, and we need to know the truth about God. And that's what you do when you present the gospel for a decision. You share the truth about who God is. He is fully loving and he's fully righteous. He's merciful for us, but he knows the truth about us. And we're all accountable to him. Secondly, the truth about us is that we're not just broken. We're condemned without Christ. We're sinful. We're accountable. We're a lawbreaker and we're responsible But you know what? We also need to present a decision. And as you go through this with someone, as we've taken you through this story, it's good after you talk about creation and the fall to say, let me just ask you a question. How does someone make themselves right before God? How do you get back with God again? The way he created you to have a relationship with him. How do you do that? 
And the answer to that question will determine where someone's faith is. Because I've heard, well, I just try to be as good as I possibly can. And I hope someday that my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. If I just keep going to church, keep on giving in the offering, keep serving in ministry, God will look at my life and say, hey, not so bad. Come on in. See, that's someone who trusts in works. Folks, we have to fall on grace. None of us can save ourselves. And that's why we have to also give the truth about Jesus, about the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus came and we need his life because he lived a perfect life, one we can't live. Jesus came and he died on a cross for our sins. That's why the central picture is his work for us on the cross. We can't save ourselves. You can't pay the debt. You could die today and still be responsible for God. Your death is not enough to pay the price for your sin. You need Jesus to forgive you. And then we also need to give them a decision of faith. It comes down to what do you do with Jesus? Do you believe him and do you trust him? Do you trust in Jesus to do what you can't do for yourself? Or do you want to keep going your own way? Finally, offer the gospel as an invitation. Once you present it as a decision, offer that, lead people through that invitation. Otherwise, you're just saying, here's God's story. Thought you might like it. You know, we do this all the time in church. We share this story, but we don't call people into an invitation. We don't invite them to do this. I thought it was interesting this past week. I'm a small group leader for seventh grade boys, and I'm building into some friends of my my son, Nathan. And um, we were just talking about the gospel. And Nick Strobel had presented the gospel in our time, and in our small group time, I just said, guys, what do you want to do with the gospel? Is there a time in your life where you turned from your works and trusted in Jesus to save you? See, that's where it all comes down to it. And I invited them to make that time on Wednesday night be that moment when they put their faith in Christ. Out of my group, about 10 guys, two of them trusted in Christ that night. And it was because we just offered an invitation. Church, we're to offer the invitation. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, he says, They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, the gospel has always been an invitation to turn from whatever God you're serving, including yourself, to the one and true, the living God, Jesus Christ. We need to invite them to faith. That, that they would believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived perfectly for them. We need to invite them to forgiveness. That Jesus died for our sins. Totally and completely and finally. That God has, has been satisfied with his payment. So he's not looking for one from us when we put our faith in him. We need to invite them to follow It's not just the work of Jesus that we need in our lives. We also need the way of Jesus in our lives because he helps us love and live with joy and with hope in this world. And we need to invite them into a future. 
that literally eternity has been changed in our lives because of the gospel. And that eternity changes how we view everything and everyone in this world. Up to this point, we've talked about being clear to know and believe the gospel, to be bold with the gospel, and now leading people to a decision through an invitation, how to be compelling with the gospel. Here's what I want to do. As we close our time, all of those in this room who want to live the gospel compellingly in their lives, I'd like you just to take a moment to pray. Pray like Janet prayed in her day. Lord, lead me to someone this week who I can share the gospel with. Wherever you are, just go specific with that. Lord, lead me to someone at school if you're a student. In my neighborhood, if you're in your home or at my workplace, people around me, would you just take a moment and ask God to advance the gospel compellingly through your life? Just do that in a quietness, and then I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have now heard the hearts of your children asking you to lead them to people who are searching and in need of the gospel. May we trust your timing as we share it. May we share it faithfully when given the opportunity trusting you to faithfully save. May we present it for a decision. May we invite them to life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.